0: I actually ran out of water, and I was probably without water for six hours. Uh, it was very dry. I, I was in New Mexico. I ended up consulting my maps, and I found where there's supposed to be a little stream when it's, when it's wet in the winter.
1: This is the Adventure Sports Podcast, where we talk to athletes, adventurers, and business owners from around the world of adventure sports, whether you're climbing Mount Everest, Hey folks, it's been a while since we've had a classic Tour Divide episode, and if you're not familiar with the Tour Divide, it's a 2,700 mile bicycle race that starts in Banff, Alberta, Canada, and goes all the way to the Mexican border um, along a lot of fire roads and single track, and, and it's a, just an amazing, amazing trip. I did it in 2013, and it was honestly, life changing. And I know that there's a few listeners out there this year who are going to tackle it, and uh, it starts first or second Friday of every June, and so we're just going to do an episode about that. Is one of the most adventurous events you can do. It, it, it is so cool, so much fun, just awesome. If you are at all wanting to do a through hike or something, you don't have tons of time, You you can, you know, if you're pretty fit and train at least. If you can train, you can do this in you know three to four weeks. Um, it's pretty typical. And so a lot more people can take off a month versus three, but I know even that is crazy for some people to be able to, to take off that long. Anyway, this one's hosted by Travis. Haven't heard from Travis in a while. I want to say we, we had one of our best listenership days a few days ago, which was awesome on Monday. That was our best day ever. So thank you for sharing the show. I don't know if someone out there really, really got on it. Cause I asked for that last week, please share the show. Continue to, uh, we're, we're going to make 2019 our best year ever. And it is well on its way, which is awesome. Um, also please apply for our adventure grant. If you don't need free money for an adventure, send it to someone who does, because we're giving away a thousand dollars and the more applicants uh, the better, because that basically will allow us to to find even more sponsors for next year, um, to get even more of these. So this one is going to be uh, important to see to see how it does. And speaking of sponsors, the the company that's sponsoring the show as well as funding the adventure grant is Athletic Brewing. They make non alcoholic beer, um, craft beer, and they just won a competition of Like 15 non-alcoholic blind taste tests and they and they won. Great stuff. Go to their website, use the code adventure for 15% off. And also Aftershocks, A-F-T-E-R-S-H-O-K-Z. They are headphones that keep your ears free so you can hear the world around you and listen to music or, you know, come on. Podcasts. Listen to podcasts. Specifically, this podcast. (laughs) And if you want to save 50 bucks off a headset uh, bundle, headphones bundle, um, there's a little URL in the show notes that you can use to click on that, takes you straight to the link and you can save 50 bucks, which is awesome. Anyway, let's get into this episode with Travis and Jim Goodyear, back from 2016.
2: The Tour Divide is over 2,700 miles of self-supported time trial endurance riding along the Great Divide mountain bike route stretching between Banff, Alberta, Canada and the U.S.-Mexico border in Antelope Wells, New Mexico. The route was created in 1997 by the Adventure Cycling Association. For 19 years now, bikepackers have been tackling this route with top riders finishing in just over two weeks, while others don't make it at all. Jim Goodyear is on the show with us today to fill us in on the experience and the mental test that the Tour Divide provides. Jim, thanks for joining me.
0: Thanks for having me, Travis. Happy right. to be here.
2: Yeah, I'm happy to have you. So, you know, I recently learned about the Tour Divide and I've become really intrigued with this ride. I didn't realize it existed. Um, This is a self-supported ride in the sense that you absolutely can't. Have any help from anybody? Not even uh, people shipping stuff to you. I mean, you have to use commercial shippers. You have to use uh, lodging, and you know, and everything. You can't have a
0: van pull up and basically allow you to sleep in it. Anything like that, right? That's correct. I mean, this this genre of racing is fairly new. It's it's self supported racing, so the only thing you can use are commercially available services. So basically, you are you are racing and taking care of all of your issues in between supply points or these small towns. So you have to make sure you're carrying enough water or you're, you need to have enough ability to repair your bike, to carry enough food to get you to the next stop. So it's a completely it, – the logistics of this type of racing can add a lot of stress to what you're doing while you're out there on the Tour Divide.
2: Yeah, that's cool. I think that's the one thing that really drew me to the idea of it because I've always, ever since I was a little kid, I always wanted to figure out some, you know, logistically, you know, sane way of, of packing stuff on a mountain bike and just going out for days on end and essentially what bikepacking has become. And then I saw that you guys do this, uh, this 2,700 mile ride, uh, essentially bikepacking and supporting yourselves.
0: I think there's such a cool idea. It, It is. I think, uh. It's cool, but uh, the practicality of it—I mean, I—I I told my wife there was a there was a time when I think I was attracting flies from three counties away, <laughs> because I mean, you you go without showering, you're carrying a, just the minimal amount of clothes. The only shoes I had were my my cycling specific shoes. Uh, so I mean, you you have one one rain jacket, one base layer underneath that, and uh, you're just going on the minimal amount to get you there, and you you figure. When I started in Banff, it was, you know, low 40s and raining for the first two days. My feet were wet constantly. By the time I finished, uh, three weeks later, 22 days later, uh, Antelope Wells was 107 degrees. It was sweltering hot. So, I mean, there's there's a big swing in weather uh, while you're riding the 2,700 miles, and you got to be able to prepare for all of that.
2: Yeah, no only. doubt. Well I definitely wanted to bring up the weather fluctuations later in the in the discussion sure. about it cuz I you just to be able to to have to prepare for that kind of stuff and not have so much room to to put stuff on it's got to be very careful preparation. That's right. But let's back up and let's start with you and how it is you got into cycling. I think I read that it
0: was an ACL uh replacement that basically kicked off your career. Huh? That's right. I, I grew up playing a lot of soccer, some baseball early on. Uh, and I was playing, you know, I'm, I'm 48 years old. I was playing in some competitive men's leagues and I eventually, in a pickup game, tore my ACL. So that, I figured that was pretty good to go that long without having a major knee injury. But, uh, part of my rehab, I, I owned a mountain bike and I decided to just get on a trainer and start spinning. Uh, eventually, uh, I decided to hang up the soccer boots and start riding on the roads around North Texas and found some clubs and, I never thought there would be a sport that would kind of satisfy my need for, you know, just competition to really push myself, and then also at the same time camaraderie, because I didn't see cycling as a team sport. Uh, found a good team to work with in Caden Cyclery here in, in North Texas. They have, own a few shop, three shops here, and really uh, took, took off. I just started doing some mountain biking, did the road races around, uh, around Dallas area, and then, uh, a few years back, I, would seen the, this, uh, documentary called Ride the Divide. Uh, the, the tour divide is still considered an underground race. Uh, there's no formal sanctioning body. There's no formal, in, there's no entry fee at all. Uh, you have to pay a fee in order to have your GPS tracked, but it's still an underground race. And I saw this, uh, this documentary called Ride the Divide and, and, all of a sudden that came back to me that I started cycling a lot and you know it was always in the back of my head and decided that I was eventually going to you know tackle this big uh this big epic adventure
2: yeah and i, I read that you know it's, instead of uh a race being organized and taking entry fees this is more of a community organized event where in reality, you can do this race, this time trial, any time of the year. You know, assuming you're not trekking through you know, a whole bunch of snow, um, you can do it north to south, south to north.
0: You can do it any time of the year and yes. register a time, right? Correct. The the there is um, the second Friday in June is what they call the Grand Depart, and that takes uh, you can take place uh, at Banff or Antelope Wells. The vast majority are in Banff, so there's there's kind of this big party and send off. And most of the riders will ride at that time. Uh, but any time during the year, I couldn't do that because of some commitments. I decided to do an individual time trial. Uh, some people say that's a little more risky, obviously. It's a little more challenging because there aren't any other riders around me. Sure. Uh, and, and I didn't see any other race. I saw one other racer heading northbound finishing the day I took off. Uh, other than that, I didn't see any other racers. So, yeah, it's uh, – um it's a honor system. When you decide to race it, you send a letter of intent to a gentleman and let you declare that you're going to abide by the rules. Um, and, and it's self policing for the most part. And you follow those rules. You do register, you have a a spot tracker so that, uh, allows people to see you on the route. It sends updates anywhere from two and a half minutes to every hour uh, where you are. So they make sure, you know, the community makes sure you're staying on route. If you go off route, you have to pick the route up where you left it. So if you broke down or you needed to go off route to get supplies, um, you could see that. So there is a way to, to audit, you know, the, that you followed the official tour divide route while you're out there. But yeah, it's, I, I love the fact that it's, it's a uh, kind of a, still has that underground status. I think it's getting more popular. So there's a lot more information out there. There, there are places online where you can get information on what the route's like at different, different sections. You can get good information on, you know, bike setup, bike packing gear. Uh, so I think that the people that are, are doing it today do it, uh, based off, we have the benefit of a lot of people that have r- ridden this and raced this ahead of us.
2: Yeah, it seems like it's a uh, more of a ride for, um, you know, of course you get bragging rights, but more of a, a ride for for friends and just to uh, to basically ride against yourself and make sure that you can uh, put up with it and compete and uh, and make yeah. it through the whole course.
0: Yeah, I think um, you know I I went into this I knew I wasn't going to set a record. I mean the record was 14 days uh, prior to this year. This year uh, a gentleman set a new record at 13 days 20 hours. So I mean that. That those are some exceptional athletes out there, and I think most of the people that are racing it. I think there are probably around 170 that raced it this year. Uh, About 40 to 45 percent of those people don't. They drop out. They don't finish. Uh, And I, I tell folks, I think the the people that are racing this aren't necessarily racing it to to win. We're racing it to see if we could finish. We're racing it. You know, we're racing against weather. We're racing against you know our own fears we're racing to see to discover new things about ourselves and that's i think that's the big appeal of this race um and why people go out there and do it and and i think they're all ages i mean 60 70 year olds down to you know early 20 year old racers out there so covers a a large demographic
2: yeah yeah definitely well let's talk about the, the route itself. Uh, back in 1997, I believe, is when it was uh, first uh, devised and then first ridden in '99 from what I read. It covers essentially the Continental Divide, uh, Banff, Alberta, down through Montana, Iho- Idaho, Wyoming, Colorado, and New Mexico. Um, there's some pretty grueling terrain in there. There's no doubt about yes. that. So let's talk about your experiences on the trail. And obviously, like we're saying, we're overcoming, you know, our, our mental challenge at the same
0: time. So, yeah, I, I think um I, all my preparation. So I figure I spent about a year preparing for this. I was doing the normal race circuit in, in North Texas, which kept me in shape, but you know, leading up to this, the the six months prior, I was really preparing for a physical effort, which it was. I mean, it it beats your body up. I mean, you're you're going without sleep, you're you're climbing. So I think they say the the uh, elevation gain is two hundred thousand feet of climbing, which is equivalent uh, to climbing Mount Everest from base, the South base camp, like 10 times. So I mean, you're, you're just, you, I couldn't, I couldn't ride in North Texas for five years and probably get that kind of elevation and climbing. Now, if I lived in Colorado, maybe, uh, but it's an insane amount of climbing and not only the climbing, but I would look, so each day I got to a point where I'd look at my maps and kind of understand, okay, I'm going to try to go 150 miles today. Uh, what's that look like? And I'd look at the elevation. Okay, I have three big mountain passes, all over ten thousand to eleven thousand feet. And so you you kind of set these goals. Okay, I got to conquer the first pass, the second, the third pass. But what you don't realize on top of that elevation game gain, gain is some of these roads are just impossible to ride. Um, you know, I, my bike, I was, my bike and, and gear my dry weight was probably around 46 pounds with water and food. I was probably right at 50 pounds or over 50 pounds, I think. Um, and you're, you're going over just rocks that, that, that are impossible to ride on. So I, I don't know what the amount is, but I figure I, I hiked my bike. I pushed my bike probably up, you know, 20 miles worth of trail I'd estimate. So uh, a lot more walking than I thought I would be doing. And, Uh, The first few days I did so much of that, my Achilles tendons were. I actually had, I developed two knots on the back of my Achilles tendons because my, I'd actually, I was wearing racing mountain bike shoes, which are carbon fiber soles and Mm -hmm. absolutely no flex in them at all. So my Achilles tendons were taking the brunt of that and I had to, to adjust my stride and shorten my stride. I probably would have chosen different shoes if I had known how much walking I was going to be doing. But it, it, was, it was miserable at times. And, and you're out there and you hate the trail. There are times when you absolutely hate that trail. And at the same time, you love what you're doing. You love the challenge. You're like, okay, you know, my, my legs aren't strong enough to, to ride up this hill. You're going to walk me up this hill. So let's go, legs. And you just have to get up the hill.
2: Yeah, that was my first thought when you said you trekked uh, up to 20 miles. I thought, you know, in mountain bike shoes. And I and I used regular mountain bike shoes, you know, more yeah. of a, a a low top with cleats in it, but yeah. man, you're talking about a carbon fiber sole. Yeah, that gives no give and you can't you don't even know to train for that. Like how do you how do you train for hiking in, in rigid mountain bike shoes?
0: That's right. So <laughs> that, that that was something I wasn't quite ready for. That caught me by surprise. Yeah, that's and a it, good I, one to follow on the tips and tricks category there for sure a lot of guys will tell you to buy shoes that that are one or two size bigger just to account for the swelling that you're going to get um so i i thought about that you know i had some insoles i could take them out if i had the the edema or some of the swelling of my feet i really didn't have a problem with that um but i just didn't think about the the climbing and having a more flex uh, a sole that flexed a little bit yeah no doubt
2: so let's talk about the terrain itself. Um, it, it this is predominantly off road stuff, right?
0: Yes, yes. There, you're you're on uh, you're you're on pavement going into some of these smaller or some of the larger towns. That so there are there is some pavement, but the the major vast majority of the time you're in the wilderness, high mountain, high desert. Uh, you're on fire trails, gravel roads, some off road trails that. There were trails that were definitely designed for, like, motorcycles and off-road vehicles that we were riding on. But it's a series of trails that just connect. The The Adventure Cycling Association has has mapped it all out, and we follow that. And they're just – I mean, the beauty that you see out there. Now, you're, you're experiencing pain, and there were times when I was in the pain cave for days at a time, it felt like. But at the same time, I'm, I was enjoying the views because, uh, I mean, I, I saw moose. I saw a badger. I saw a lot of cows out there, obviously grazing in the high country. saw a black bear brown bear, saw a lot of elk um so you're you're out there in the middle of nowhere and uh some of the sometimes the roads are good and and there are times when they're just the washboard is just miserable to ride on, and you have to ride on it.
2: Yeah, I'll bet. To the emotional swings are extreme highs and extreme lows, and probably many of those within the same five minutes.
0: Yeah, it is. I mean, I, I was saying that earlier. I prepared for this physical challenge, but I, I had no idea how mentally draining and and uh, you know the the mental aspects and and not just mental aspects, but when when you're that tired and that fatigued and you're going that long, what happens is mentally you start getting weaker. And then that spirals into this, just this emotional state where you're, you're, you're like a child and you're mad and you're angry. And it's like, you know, I'm the one that chose to do this. I know where the finish line is. (laughs) So, so, so get control of yourself, Jim. So you, you, you have a lot of really good conversations with your handlebars while you're out there on, on the trail. Uh, but yeah. So, so what happens is you're, you're, there were three times where I rode. 250 miles without stopping, you know, maybe an hour. And the next day I was worthless. And and I should have known that I, I, I pushed myself too hard. And then you pay for it the next day. Uh, but, but what happens is you're, you, you just go hard physically and then you get into this mental state where you're, you're like a robot and that's okay. But then you start making mistakes. Um, Every time the grant, every year when the grand depart starts, uh, there are some forums that they'll they'll start a lost and found forum, and and I was actually making fun of people this year, um, and I was showing my wife I was reading all people leaving their phones and then saying hey any racers in this on this leg of the race if you see a phone at this spot try to pick it up and try to get it back or uh, there was one woman who. Who said she lost her phone and somebody found it. And then she said somebody had stolen her, her jacket and I think a sleeping bag. And it turns out she left her sweet roll open and was, things were just falling out along the route. Oh, no. And, and I was I was kind of laughing at that, making fun of that. But but little did I know I would start doing similar things because you're so fatigued that, that you, you don't realize what you're doing. I'd lost my jacket twice. I lost a pair of Oakley sunglasses. I lost my pump. I lost a glove. I mean, so you just start making these mental mistakes when you're that fatigued and you're not eating, you know, you're not getting the type of nutrition you're used to. You're not getting enough sleep. And, uh, yeah, I saw that happen to me while I was out there.
2: Yeah. And that goes back to you talking about doing it on your own instead of part of the great, uh, depart because yeah. you're out there and you're, it's not like you're carrying spares of many things. I and mean, maybe you have a pair of spare gloves. Um, but not pumps, not phones, not that kind of stuff. So you start leaving that stuff and it, <laughs> you, yeah. you talk about being mentally exhausted. Now you're mentally exhausted and a little worried about yeah. your, your ability to, uh, to uh, survive out there.
0: That's it. I, I went two days without my pump. Now I do carry two. I, I carried two or three CO cartridges, so I could still air up a tire. Um, and I had one flat, so it's like you don't realize the drain and the stress that puts on you. So you're you're riding along. You realize I realized I lost my. I, I didn't have my pump when I was repacking. I got a jacket or something, and I realized my pump was gone. So so what happens is you you. You have to be real careful mentally that you don't go into a real negative place because you're you're riding on this trail, it's beautiful, your legs feel decent, you're going and you're like, "What happens if this you know I'm like, okay, I only have a couple c o cartridges. What if I run out of those you know and and you can go into a pretty dark place and when you're that negative, you know it's hard to be real productive and so you you gotta rein it back in and say, okay." I got two CO cartridges. I have two more spare tubes. I'm okay, and if that goes down, I'm going to have to do what they say and stuff my tube with grass and see if I can get to a you know uh, a, a place where I can repair it. But you got to really control yourself mentally in those types of situations. It's when you're doing an individual time trial. My fork started making some noise on a couple legs, and it's it. I mean, I that's all I could think about. I'm like, okay, what happens if my fork breaks? Because I had a suspension fork. A lot of guys now are doing it with completely rigid bikes, no suspension in the back, no suspension in the front. I had a a, a suspension fork and started making a lot of noise. And again, it it uh, I probably wasted a lot of nervous energy worrying about that. And it got me through the the race fine.
2: Yeah, I'll bet that's interesting. They're doing it with rigid suspension now. Is that more for longevity,
0: wear and tear on the bike during? The yeah. Trip? I think they're doing it because it, it simplifies the bike, uh, and they don't have to worry about a, a mechanical breakdown. And they're doing it for weight. Uh, rigid fork is going to be a lot lighter, so it, it's all it's all trying to get your your bike and your kit down to the lowest amount of weight possible if you're going to be racing it. And there there are there are I don't know how many there there are a lot of people that will tour the Grand Divide, the, particularly up uh kind of northern colorado a lot of people in in montana and a lot of people in in canada you see them bikepacking and they're carrying a lot of gear we're talking 60 70 pound bikes with big paneer racks and <laughs> right. you know camp stoves and coffee and and they all have great smiles on their face because they're enjoying themselves and i come up on them and they know exactly just by the look of my rig they know that i'm i'm built for speed um uh, and And so, people can go out there and enjoy themselves, but there is something about racing it and pushing yourself to to limits, and that's what I wanted to do, and that's what the hundred and seventy plus people did this year when they when they raced declared they were going to race the tour divide
2: yeah no, i I totally get it. I would be the the touring person with the you know the hundred and fifty pound outfit, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> out there I, with a smile on
0: my face. <laughs> I mean there's something to that. I mean, do, I I uh, I think doing an individual time trial, I, I stopped and every time I ran into a somebody that was touring, I I tried to take a picture. I spent a couple minutes with them if they wanted to talk and they were always, you know, appreciative of that. But they, you know, they it would be nice to have a cup of coffee. I told my dad I'd love to go back and tour the Montana section with a fly rod. Yeah. Because I love to fly fish and I could see myself just kind of riding putting in some miles and then just saying, you know what, that looks like a great strain and then going, you know, wetting a fly. Oh, yeah. Sounds good to me.
1: Athletic brewing is pioneering non-alcoholic craft beer. Yeah, I said non-alcoholic craft beer. And there's a number of reasons you might want to do that. Whether you're training for an event, which a lot of our listeners are, or you know if you if you're babysitting and don't want to be drunk in case something happens i mean stuff happens but you still want to sit down and enjoy the game and have a beer this is an incredible option for a full flavored full-bodied beer each can is only 50 to 70 calories with ipa golden ales stouts and tons of seasonal offerings athletic brewing is a great option if you want that craft brewery taste uh, but not deal with the effects of alcohol itself. Uh, if you'd like to save 15% on your first order, go to athleticbrewing.com and use the code ADVENTURE at checkout.
2: All right, let's talk about the bike itself. I mean, obviously these days mountain bikes or any bikes for that matter can can vary in such uh such vast ranges. Um what is it you rode? You said it was rigid, so you didn't have any suspension. So, what is your bike and how is it outfitted um in order to carry the the, the bare essentials but not be too heavy.
0: Right. So so most people are riding hardtail mountain bikes. I rode a Scott's scale nine ten, uh, that was the model. It, it had a Fox uh, suspension fork. Uh, the weight of my bike is a carbon fiber bike. The weight of my bike with the pedals and no bags or anything was twenty four pounds. And then what I did was I equipped that with um, what are called Jones Loop H bars. So it's a it's a it's a handlebar that gives me multiple positions. A lot of people use this handlebar setup for bike packing. And then on top of that, I put some arrow bars to give me some even more, give me just different positions on the bike so that I could rest my shoulders or my back and and allow me to keep going without any fatigue. Uh, so that was the basic bike setup. Then uh, for the packs, what we usually do. Anyone that's doing ultra racing, uh, a seat bag is is necessary. So it's a bag that hangs off of your seat and your your seat post. And that carries a lot of the weight. That's that's where you're putting some of your tools, uh, some of your clothing, uh, your water. I had my water, water filtration system in there. Uh, then I'll have a, a sweet roll that attaches to the, the front handlebar. So it looks like a, a roll. And that had my sleep system in it. So I had a, a sleeping bag, a bivy sack, and a tarp. Uh, and once I got through the uh, – once I got to Helena, Montana, I sent the bivy home and just had a sleeping bag and and a tarp. That's what I used the rest of the way. Uh, and then a frame pack. Uh, that ca- I, I held extra water in the frame pack. Uh, and then two little pouches uh, on the top tube that carried things that I needed quick access to, uh, some of the tools that I was using quite a bit. I kept my phone in there. Uh, uh, kept extra batteries in there. And then, uh, there are two feed bags that I had that I just shoved food in because one of the things that y- you actually get tired of eating on this route, and they were called, uh, my bags were all made by Rele- Revelate, uh, with the exception of the frame bag. And, uh, these mountain feed bags are, are kind of round and they sit off to the side of your, on, on your handlebars and you just shove them with food. And, you know, I was trying to consume between 12 and 15,000 calories a day. And so I, I was trying to eat every single hour and you got to have food handy. And that's what I was doing. And then I had a small back, a ultralight backpack that I was using. Uh, and, and I didn't, I didn't want to carry a backpack, but I found that I was having to carry so much food that, uh, when I, when I hit Steamboat Springs, I actually got a, a nicer, uh, uh, uh osprey backpack to, to carry more food and water since I was doing some of the longer stretches in New Mexico where there was no water available. I just really needed to, to distribute the weight more, more evenly. So I got an osprey backpack, but that, and that's, that's pretty similar. Most of the guys are using a, a setup, uh, pretty similar to that, that are doing the ultra racing. When you get into the touring, they get more, uh, they, they tend to do the pannier kind of the saddle bags, either on the front of the back. Uh, and they're, they're not as worried about the weight as the ultralight racers are. Right, right. Yeah. I imagine the, the food and water is probably the one of the
2: more difficult things to manage because you don't have a lot of room to store it, nor do you want to carry that much weight, but there's probably got to be some pretty serious stretches in there before you could reprovision.
0: Yeah, that's, that's it. I mean, so, so again, going back to that mental aspect, there, there are stretches like uh there's a stretch through what's called the great. Uh, the Great Divide Basin in Wyoming where there it, – it's this weird area where the water will – need when water – when it rains, the water will neither flow towards the east or the west. The Great Divide actually is the dividing line where water will flow towards the, the Mississippi or the Pacific – the Atlantic or the Pacific Ocean. Right. And the Great Basin, the water doesn't – it just sits there. It doesn't drain in either direction. and And so you're going through an area that it's almost like a moonscape. Uh, there are no services. You're just riding for 100 plus miles until you can get some service out there. Um, and you, you're so, so basically you take off and, and I rode that nonstop. I, I rode 200 plus miles. I think it was about two, 240 miles without stopping through the Great Basin through the night. But, but the thing mentally is you're carrying about a day's worth of food to get you to the next stop. You're carrying a, maybe a day and a half of water if you're carrying extra water, and if you have a if you have a catastrophic mechanical failure, you're a three day, three or three or four day walk out of there with only a day of food. Mm, yeah, that's and a good it, point. And again, you when when you're doing an individual time trial, that starts messing with your mind if you're not careful. So you got to kind of control your emotion, control the mental, you know, kind of stay positive and know that you can get through this. I. Uh, I ended up the, – the one thing I didn't – I I, um, I sliced the sidewall of my tire in the great – in in the basin, as they call it. It was probably 2 in the morning. I get this flat, and I look, and my sidewall sliced. And that's, that's a repair that you, you could handle. You boot it up, but, but if that slice keeps going, you could get in some serious trouble. And I didn't bring a needle and thread. I had an extra tube, but I didn't have an extra tire. Uh, so I booted it up. It, it held there. The the tube was good, and and it got got me through the basin. But but boy, I was riding pretty gingerly, and I was I was very concerned about that tire until I got to a place where I could give it the attention it needed.
2: Wow, that's a good point. You know, this is obviously not something you just dive into with a with a regular mountain bike and no knowledge on how to, to fix it. And it's not even just a matter of, you know, understanding tools and understanding mechanics and to fix your bike. It's things like blowing out a sidewall, like yeah. you talked about, or a tip like stuffing grass into the tube or tire. I've never, never even thought about that, never heard about that, but it makes a lot of sense, you know, just ways yeah. that you can get through, and especially when you have that kind of uh, limited food ration.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of people there there are really good resources out there that'll show you. I've I've seen people talk about it and I've seen I've seen YouTube videos of people stuffing a tire with 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 grass to get them to a, another location. It it obviously would destroy your rim on the stuff I was riding on, but yeah, you you definitely carry a lot of duct tape. Uh, you know, a lot of zip ties uh and and you hope you don't have to use that stuff.
2: Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> Okay so let's talk about uh a story or time that was just the the best moment on the trail in this uh in this ride that
0: you did. I I think uh it's funny cuz some of my best stories even though the the scenery I, I walk away from the ride just I, while I was out there I said I will never do this again. I will <laughs> you know and you leave and 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 you hear that trail calling you back. Right. I mean I I uh every I've been home a, a little over two weeks now and every single night while I was sleeping, I've had some dream about that, that, that tour divide route. Um, just the beauty that I miss and the, the serenity, that kind of stuff. But, but probably one of my best, best moments was when I was in a really dark place. And, and so, so I, had I'd gone, uh, again, it was one of my longer stretches. I, I'd done about 250 miles, about 30 minutes of sleep. Uh, I got to a, a place where I could just sleep and I, I, I camped out and I was actually 10. The the next leg was about a 70 mile stretch to Steamboat Springs where I was going to have my, my bike repaired. I had been riding about 500 miles without a front brake caliper. My, I had failure in my brake. It just, the caliper wouldn't wouldn't compress and and release. So I was using only a back break. So I woke, I, I'd gone a long day. I woke up in the morning. There was no place to get food. It was about 10 miles off route if I wanted to go to a gas station. And I had maybe seven pieces of, of food. I, I had a couple bars, some beef jerky, you know, just not enough food to get me over the pass to steamboat springs. And, and again, things like this happen when you're fatigued. There, there's a place called Brush Mountain Lodge. Kirsten is one of those trail angels. She she watch. She's one of these people that watches. She and Russ uh, Russ Kip at uh, High High Country Lodge in Polaris. They're probably two of the the most well known trail angels out there. They actually watch the track leaders and watch the uh, GPS trackers and each rider that comes through. They take care of them. That's cool. And and so they they treat us all real well. Well. Kirsten and Brush Mountain Lodge were only ten miles away, but I didn't pay attention to my cue. i I had cue cards telling me what to look for and what was going on, but I was so fatigued I wasn't paying attention to that instead, I was worried about my food situation. I decided i would I would go the seventy miles and I would just go easy i I wouldn't push myself too hard I'd probably walk a lot because i didn't I, that wasn't enough food for breakfast, let alone lunch and the the demands that I was going to put on myself that day well. I'm going up, I'm in the foothills in Slater, Colorado. I come around this turn and I just hear somebody. It's actually Kirsten running out saying, Jim, Jim. And she, she runs out. She, (laughs) she greets every rider with a hug and just takes care of the riders. I mean, she, uh, so I went from a place where I was, I was in a, in a negative situation in terms of food. I had a big climb in front of me to get to Steamboat Springs. Uh, the day before, I had done 250 miles. So I, I was just really in a bad situation. I come around this turn. I get greeted by Kirsten. Next thing I know, she's like, Take off your shoes. Sit down right there. I think I ate nine or 10 blueberry pancakes. I had eggs, sausage, coffee, water. You know, she just took care of me. And then even before I left, she said, Okay, take any supplies you need to make sure you can get to Steamboat. So I had the drinks, the. You know, uh, I, I resupplied and stuffed some food in my backpack, and you know when you the 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 swings that you go through that that epitomized what the tour divide's all about. Just going from really concerned to man, I feel great and I'm going to enjoy this next leg, and and that that was definitely one of them that I'll I'll never forget because it just changed everything for me and it, it showed me you know how quickly things can change out there on the tour divide. Yeah, wow, that's pretty cool. Very cool. Yeah.
2: Well, let's take a a break and step aside from that stuff. Before we started this interview, I, you were telling me that you and your wife uh do an essential oils uh business, and I was a little Cause, intrigued cuz I'm not sure um I'm not sure what all essential oils does for someone. So tell us about that.
0: Yeah, so so we we uh we uh sell and and educate people on the uses of Young Living essential oils. Uh, We've been doing that for – actually, she's been doing it for over 13 years. I left my job in the corporate world as a VP of sales in June of 2014 and and decided to join her. Um, I've always been healthy. I've always pursued you know, – I've always had a healthy and active lifestyle but really started using essential oils for recovery. So essential oils, these are volatile compounds you put on your skin. Uh, You know, most people have heard of lavender oil but but we have – a whole array of oils that help you. So I, part of my my experimentation with getting ready for the Tour Divide was seeing how oils can help me recover quickly. Uh, as of anyone over 40 years old would be considered a master's athlete. So it's not just the effort you put out on the course when you're racing or you're riding hard on a weekend, but it's how your body recovers. And And a lot of that is getting the right sleep, managing stress in your life, uh, getting the right nutrition. And then also, it's it's getting the right supplementation. So what your body lacks, or what you're not getting, so so using supplementation, using essential oils like, uh, you know, things like uh, j- just from from natural plants that are out there, and putting those on my legs, putting them on my back, putting you know, helping me breathe better uh, is what what I do, um, and we do that full time now. Uh, so I, I did take a just a handful because because weight is so important to the Tour Divide racer. I I I had to limit myself with some of the oils I took, but every night, uh, every night I I put lemongrass on my legs and copaiba. Those actually help ligaments and tendons. uh, And I had a lot of problems with my Achilles tendons. Uh, The copaiba is an oil that really helps with inflammation. So I'd really oil up my legs each night. Um, I'd elevate them. So I was doing some yoga poses. Um, If I, I, I stayed in a hotel about every three and a half, four days, so if I was in a hotel, I'd actually fall asleep with my legs up above the headboard until they just fall down, uh, because I wanted to get all the blood out of my legs. Uh, try to try to, uh, you know, some people run into problems with edema, you know, serious blood pooling in the legs. Right. So I was doing stuff like that just to make sure I, I, I gave myself a chance to, to to finish the race without any serious injury. Oh, very you know, cool. So.
2: Well yeah, I'll have to check into it. I'm not uh I've not researched it much myself, but sounds like something worth looking into. So where can yeah, people definitely. go to to find out about it, about your
0: business? You, you can go to youngliving.com or message me uh on my Facebook page, uh Jim Goodyear's Tour Divide twenty sixteen and I can give you any information you need. Okay,
2: cool. Well we'll put those links in the show notes as usual and people can find you there. All righty. Okay. So you we kind of hinted upon navigation there for a little bit and I wanted to dig into it so yeah. maps GPS both are things provided how can one go about finding the routes that they would need to to use to either run the time trial or just tour
0: yeah a lot of good resources online but you have I, you have to go to adventure cycling association uh, their website and buy the list of maps. So they have, I think it's a series of six or seven maps. I think it's six maps plus the Colorado section. They are detailed maps. I mean, down to, okay, at 67.7 miles, it's going to fork and you're going to go right. So highly detailed maps. Uh, they give you a good understanding of the elevation and what you're facing each day along the route. And they also sell a book that kind of goes through the the real nitty-gritty that could tell you, okay, there's a primitive campsite here or there are camping opportunities along this stretch. Uh, They tell you where water is. So everyone that's racing and riding the Tour Divide, just about everyone out there has a set of these maps. Um, If you're racing, they also have GPS coordinates. So we download GPS to our Garmin devices and basically follow a purple line. That's what we're doing most of the time. Uh, We consult the maps to understand kind of some of the the elevation points and what we're getting into. But for the most part, I turn myself into a robot and follow that purple line (laughs) on the GPS and then consult the maps when I'm like, how long is this leg (laughs) and what do I have left? Because sometimes you're like, oh, it's only 13 miles into silver city but then you find out that that you're you have to go through this uh this this uh continental divide trail that that is basically for the most part unrideable so you're pushing your bike for about six miles and you didn't really understand that you should have paid more attention to those maps um but those are the two main ways that, that people are navigating uh the tour divide they're using those two resources Okay.
2: Yeah. I'll bet that, you know, it seems like neither one, you know, is, is something you want to do without. Cause obviously to have the maps in case the, the technology goes downhill, um, is, is a definite, but at the same time with limited food and water, uh, supplies screwing up on your navigation skills on a map could really put you in a bad spot. So having that yeah. purple
0: line is not a bad thing to have. It is. There was a time, uh, if somebody were to go back and look at my, my, GPS track that I did on, on during the race. There was a time where I, again, this, this was fatigue and it was my fault. I thought we were going through a town called Rollins. And in fact, there, there's so much construction in this little town that they've, I think they're going to keep the route going through a, a town called savory. You know, in, in survival, it, there's this idea, they call it, they call it bending the map where you, you, you know what the map, you saw a map and you know what it said. And yet your mind's trying to make you go somewhere you're not going. Right. And, and I got into that and I ended up going in circles for a while. I, I just wouldn't follow my GPS. I didn't trust my GPS because I said, I've got to be going to Rollins. And, uh, yeah, you can get in trouble if you're not, you're not, uh, you don't have the right resources if you're not paying attention. And even with the maps, even with the GPS, I, I spent about, uh, at least an hour to going in circles until I figured out I'm just going to follow this purple line, <laughs> and and sure enough, it got me to Savory. So,
2: we, we we've all at one point or another had that same purple line try to make us drive a car down the bike trail. You know, so it's, know, it's easy right. to uh,
0: to doubt it's the okay. thing at the same time. That is, yeah, you start down and stuff like that. You know. <laughs> it's funny.
1: This episode is sponsored by Aftershocks. They are headphones with bone conducting technology. So they rest in front of your ears, not inside your ears like most headphones. And the benefit is they keep your ears free. I would have felt so much safer on my bike trips if I would have had these. But, you know, I'm on the bike for 12 hours. I'm not going to not listen to something. So I did put myself at risk a lot. And I would highly recommend something that allows you to keep your ears free and be able to listen to this show or music if you choose that but come on you want to listen to this show they have a six hour battery life awesome audio quality and you can get fifty dollars off the trex air adventure bundle or the trex titanium adventure bundle at asp.aftershocks.com and that is also in the show notes
2: All right, we'd covered your best moment. What about your worst moment? Imagine twenty seven hundred miles. There's got to be a time where you just thought, "I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore."
0: Yeah. So, so the, there were kind of two. On, I'm glad this did. On the second day, I actually had my rain jacket fall off of my my pack, and and if this would have happened a week or two in, it was so demoralizing. On the second day, I had. It was it was cold enough and there were enough storms where if I didn't get my jacket, you know potential hypothermia, I would have had to just set up camp to, to stay out of the rain uh, and I had to backtrack miles and this this was hours and hours of wasted time so that was pretty demoralizing but it happened early enough in the race where I was able to recover the next day uh, but again I, I think the really the, the lowest point in the race was, that leg going, uh, going from Wom's Utter to savory where I thought I was going to Rollins. And I ended up, I actually ran out of water. I didn't resupply at Wom's Utter the way I should have because I thought I was only going to, to Rollins. And I was probably without water for six hours. Uh, it was very dry. Wow. I, I was in New Mexico. I ended up, I ended up, consulting my maps and I found where there's supposed to be a little stream when it's, when it's wet in the winter. And I found a cold, a big culvert pipe that had some water and I ended up filtering some highly questionable water. Uh, but I didn't get sick. The, the filter, my Sawyer mini pump did its job. I got a couple bottles of water, but, but that was a pretty dark time when I was like, I was real close to, to calling it in, actually calling 911. Um, and, and that was when I wasn't trusting my GPS. And the weird thing is, is I actually had cell phone coverage, uh, but I didn't have any data coverage because for some reason, my T-Mobile phone wasn't working <laughs> on, on that network. So I actually called T-Mobile and I was like, you need to fix this cause I'm lost and I need to figure out where <laughs> I am and I need another device to verify what I'm doing here. And I had the T-Mobile tech support kind of Trying to fix, they couldn't figure out the problem. They thought it was their network and not their phone. I I don't know what the cause was, but I actually had the T-Mobile tech support looking up on track leaders to see where I was and overlaying that on a map. So I was I was doing everything I can, and I finally just said, "Forget it. I'm going to follow this uh, follow this uh, purple line that and it got me to Savory. But that was a pretty rough rough time to to go without water, to be that fatigued after such a long time in the saddle. It, its uh, I pushed my body to a point where, you know, I, I wanted to quit. Uh, I actually had talked to my dad and I texted him and he's like, no, you can't quit. Keep going. And, and you know, that encouragement was something I needed at that point uh, because I think he understood I, I was able to filter two bottles of water. So, even though I was very thirsty, I was without water for six or seven hours, I had water at the time. And and I think I think what was happening is I was so fatigued from riding through the night for the last twenty plus hours that it was the fatigue that wanted to quit, not the not the you're dying of thirst, uh, wanting to quit. And those are two different things. And I managed to make it I think I was twenty or twenty five miles out of savory, managed to get there, had a good night's rest and, and you know finish the race but that yeah that was that was rough
2: yeah i'll bet six hours without water and you don't have a choice but to pedal to go get some it's got to be just just excruciating i just can't imagine being dry that long
0: yeah you're just and you're so hot that was one of those those really hot days too so but made it something i could look back on yeah no doubt makes for a good
2: story at least right yeah that's (laughs) right Let's go into advice for people that would either want to just ride this as a tour or get involved in the actual race. And I got to think bringing a water filter has got to be at the top of that list.
0: Yeah, you have to have a water filter. You have to think through your shelter and your clothing. I mean, uh, you're going to experience everything from downpours, freezing rain. Depending on the year, you could be at elevation running into snow, see... You have to be able to handle the elements. You have to be able to do some basic bike maintenance. Um, you got to be able to, to filter your own water. Uh, you got to be able to carry enough water to get you to the next point. Um, and you got to be able to ride. So you need to be in, in you know, I, I think, and people have proven this, you don't have to be a world-class athlete to complete this race. But but you have to be determined. You have to have kind of a baseline of good health. You gotta be able to spend long hours in the saddle. And uh depending on how many hours you could do a day, will will determine when you finish. Um Yeah.
2: Yeah, that I mean, sounds like uh plan plan and more plan. Study the maps, understand where it is you're going. And if you ever have to, to doubt yourself, at least maybe you can fall back
0: on that planning and understanding. Yeah, I think uh you know, my thing was, is I, I, there are a lot of good resources online again, uh, adventure cycling association, bikepacking.net has a great forum, you know, Facebook is a good place to go because people that have completed, they, there's a, you know, once you finish the tour divide, you're, you're in a, a small group, you're, you're in kind of a small group of company there. And we all, we, we want to encourage everyone to pursue it. if. If this is something you're considering or want to do or it's on your bucket list, you're going to get nothing but cheerleading from from all of the veterans that are out there. We want people to pursue this. We want to share as much information as we can. Uh, and uh, we want people to, to to go out there and test themselves. So this is this – uh, the, the information out there is readily available if you're willing to pursue it. And, and we want you to – we want to encourage everyone to go out there and chase this dream, chase this uh, race.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It sounds amazing. We'll definitely get those links up, uh, like I said, so people can do a little research by going to our site and click through to those links if they want to look into it themselves. Definitely. All right. Last one. Um, Plans. Do you think you'll do this one again? Do you have your sights set on others? What are your thoughts
0: for the the future? Man, if I said I plan on doing this again, my wife (laughs) – Uh, I hope she's not listening to this. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I uh, again, while I was out there, I, w- I was telling myself, "What did I do? Why am I out here? I hate this." And the very next se- sentence was, "Man, I'm having a great time." Um, and, and I think again, as soon as you leave the tour divide, you start thinking about it. I mean, the the first full week I was home, I woke up. At, I would wake up in the middle of the night and where's my bike? Where's my bike? I gotta, I gotta go. And it's amazing how twenty plus days on this in this race will it just captivates you. And there, there are um, I've spent some time on on uh, on just looking at other ultra endurance race. I, I really respect all the the men and women that do that pursue this this ultra endurance self supported racing. And there are a number of really there's there are a number of great races out there. There's the Trans Am, which is more of a road race that goes from Oregon to Virginia there's there's the Colorado Trail Race there's the Arizona Trail there are some really good races out there and I I wouldn't put it out of out out of um question but right now I'm letting my body recover uh recovering from some adrenal fatigue that I have and uh it, it might be something I pursue in the future there's actually a race coming up in October that's a uh uh, uh rally across texas and i've got some friends that are doing that so i'm talking to them and uh, supporting some of them and uh, as they prepare for that big one but you're
2: already talking to them about it i bet you'll get drawn in that's kind of how it works
0: yeah the the, i it's i did the granddaddy of them all so i could say uh, (laughs) uh most of them are in that 500 to 700 mile range uh this the the tour de 2700 miles that's probably the largest the, the biggest off-road race the transam is over 4000 miles on paved roads across right. the us so different styles out there but uh, there there is something about just being out on your own and saying i'm going to conquer this and pushing yourself and uh, i won't say no but uh, i don't have any plans right now
2: yeah a little too certain to, to tell i'm yeah. sure so that's All right, right. Well, that was fun, Jim. I appreciate you sitting in and filling us in on the tour divide. It sounds like it's a blast. I would love to, uh, to get up there and at a minimum tour it and take a lot longer to do it and just enjoy the scenery because I know how beautiful it is. So, I do appreciate your time and coming and talking to us.
0: Well, thanks for having me, Travis. I appreciate it.
2: All right, my pleasure. And to our audience, uh, until the next episode, get out there and try something new.
1: First of all, thank you so much for listening to the episode uh secondly if you would like to get in touch you can leave us a voicemail at 812 mail pod you can also send us an email info at adventuresportspodcast.com get a hold of us on facebook instagram contact us on the website like there's just a thousand ways to do it if you know somebody that would make a good guest for the show whether they're whether it's you or somebody you know with a really cool story or background or does an interesting sport get in touch we'd love to have them on Also, if you'd like to be a patron, a.k.a. a supporter of the show, patreon.com slash adventuresportspodcast. You can sign up for as little as a buck a month. You can sign up for five bucks a month. And lastly, thank you to our sponsors whose messages follow right now. Go to athleticbrewing.com and use the code ADVENTURE at checkout to save 15% off the best tasting and lowest calorie non-alcoholic beer you're ever going to try. Don't forget to save $50 off a headset bundle at asp.aftershocks.com. It's my new favorite way to listen to music and podcasts and stay safe while I run and ride my bike. After all this adventure talk, if you need to go to a place and buy some gear and talk to an expert, go to backpacktribe.com. They can help you choose the right gear and they have the expertise and know-how with each piece of equipment. Now get out there and do something crazy.